Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elian Berlin. On our show, we often talk about strategies for achieving and maintaining physical health and emotional health, but today we're going to talk about financial health. My guest today is a multi-talented individual who has an impressive and diverse background. She is both a rocket scientist with a doctorate in materials science engineering and a former Miss Chicago. We have nothing in common. <laughs> she has extensive experience strategizing, planning, and executing multifaceted projects for some of the world's largest space agencies. Now, she's a financial wellness coach focused on strategies to transform dreams into reality. She's married with two toddlers and a baby on the way. Portia Jackson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. Wow, what an incredible background. I would love to go through that really quickly. How do you do all those things? <laughs> Uh, I follow my passion. So that's what I love to do in life. I've always loved just strategizing and seeing the big picture and being organized. And so that's what started off with engineering, but then it bleeds into other areas of life too. So you have to be organized. Any good mom knows that you have to have some level of organization in your family uh, to keep things running smoothly. So, Well, if you don't like to crash into walls. Yeah, right. And I, I still do that sometimes. <laughs> where, where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Mm, cold. It is very cold. I had no idea how cold it was until I moved to Los Angeles. Oh, really? <laughs> I had no idea people live like this. This is amazing. Yeah, I went to Chicago twice, once in the middle of winter and once in the middle of the summer, and they were both brutal. Um, yeah. <laughs> This is like the two worst times to go. Brutally cold and brutally hot and humid. Yeah. We have two good weeks in spring and maybe a week or two in October. <laughs> yeah. And then the rest of the time, no way. It's funny. I lived in uh, Nebraska for a year. And when I got there, they said, you're from New York? I said, yeah. And they said, oh, you're used to four seasons. We only have two. I said, two. And he said, yeah, we have winter and the 4th of July. <laughs> it seemed pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden on the 5th, it got cold again. So um, space. You mm -hmm. you went for a PhD in like space science? Yeah, so I've always loved teaching and it's the one thing that's been the common thread throughout my life is like teaching people. And I initially went and got my PhD because I really wanted to teach students about math, science and all the STEM fields. So uh, science, technology, engineering and math. And mm. then halfway through grad school, I uh, decided that wasn't necessarily the path I wanted to go down because it was more research focused than the teaching element. Um, and so that's when I entered corporate America. And then one thing led to another and I still teach in some way. It's just now that in instead of teaching and strategizing on rockets and l successful launches, I'm now teaching people how to manage their finances and reach their financial goals and have good businesses as well. Well, um, all those things sound really important. Uh, but in particular, when you're having a kid, especially the first one, uh, things change mm -hmm. uh, financially. I, at least for me, it was like, you know, when I, I, I've been working from the time I was young, but uh, then you get married and it's just the two of you, for me, it was just the two of us. And, and, you know, you could be pretty sloppy about your spending and not really save anything and do, be just fine. But then all of a sudden you throw a kid in the mix. And, uh, I think that inherently a lot of women, more women become instinctually interested in being at home and around the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, even if they still want to go out and explore and work and do other things, there's just part of, they have more of a pull than male partners to, to be around the baby mm -hmm. in, during those infant stages. And, um, a lot of men get the instinct to like go hunt and gather 
more and try to provide more. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, some men just have the instinct to be around the baby too. But um, it becomes interesting with without a strategy. You talked about strategy a little bit. Without mm-hmm. a strategy, it's sort of hard to uh, be successful at that. Where do you start? I would start with the budget. And I know for a lot of people, it kind of freaks them out because it sounds like the B word because it you know, a lot of people try to shun away from that. But really, at the end of the day, it comes down to take a look at what the budget is before the baby gets here, right? A lot of B words going on here. Uh, and so what are you all spending? Because a lot of times you, you don't realize it, right? You have date nights. You can just, you're free. You can do whatever it is that you want to do whenever you want to do it. And then all of a sudden, a baby enters the picture. And now instead of, you know, uh, maybe a $100 night out at a restaurant, you have the restaurant, you have your babysitter, then you have to leave food for the, you know, the baby, depending on what age they are and things like that. So I always just say, take a look at what you've been spending. And there's a couple of different ways you can do this. So you can either start where you are now and start tracking your expenses from this point forward. And I usually recommend a time period of around two to three months or so. Uh, it gives you enough time to account for different anomalies. So if it was somebody's birthday or an anniversary or something that would throw your spending off, or maybe the holidays, or you can always look back the last two or three months, depending on how you bank, if you bank online or if you track your expenses or anything like that, to give yourself a good solid foundation of how much do you spend per month. Because a lot of times we don't know. And if it's not something that you do all day, every day, um, you might not have an idea of where to start. So it's very similar to if you're starting a fitness or nutrition plan. Sometimes you have to just step on the scale just to see where the beginnings are, as scary as it might be. It is scary. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about my nutritionist who was like, listen, before I do any with you, I just want you to spend two months writing down everything that you eat. Yeah, very and similar. When I when I started to do it, and then I looked back at it, it was amazing to me how much I mean. I never thought I was eating that much, mm-hmm. and uh, probably the same exact thing with how much I'm spending. Yeah, and it doesn't always even go back to, I know a lot of people are like, oh, am I going to have to give up, you know, my coffee a day or, you know, getting my nails done or something like that. It's not necessarily about restricting at this point. It's all about awareness because you just have to know where to start. It might be better than what you think you're spending. It might be a little bit worse. Um, I know for us, we noticed a few memberships that we had that were on a subscription basis that we totally forgot about. And Mm -hmm. just by realizing what we were spending per month, we were able to save almost like $100 because it was just going out on automatic debit, had no idea. Mm -hmm. So I always say start with the budget, at least figure out where you are with the spending. Is there, do you recommend any particular way of organizing that? It depends on personality. So I'm very type A. I like things to be kind of down to the penny. So I like making my own spreadsheets. Um, I like the app Every Dollar is a good one. Um, I think Dave Ramsey uses is that's from his company. I also like Personal Capital. It's another that's a free one, um, and it tracks your spending. Mint.com is very popular. A lot of people like to use that one too. Um, you could just use a simple spreadsheet. We just use Google Sheets right now too, or we started that way and then moved into some of the other apps. Um, it just really comes down to your personality. If you like doing this stuff and you're like, hey, I want to track it. We're really gung ho about it. Figure out what you know what works for you. If you're like, hey, this is I don't have time for this. We have a new baby coming up. I just want to set something up once and have it go from there. Then you might want to look more into a Mint.com or um, another app like that that does it for you automatically. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I sort of find myself organized, and maybe it's because I, I do have an inversion here on this particular issue. But uh, every time I try to do it in a Google spreadsheet, I just end up not finishing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I I want to. 
organize it, and I'm not exactly sure how. Like some of the expenses that that happen every month are very fixed, are rent, health insurance, things like that, car payment, mm-hmm. um, and some of them are a lot more variable. And so when you say two or three months, so that doesn't necessarily take in clothing, which might all be bought at a certain time of year. So. Mm-hmm. I always try to go back and try to figure out. Maybe I'm going into too much detail, and maybe I don't need that much detail. But um, I'm always trying to finish that sheet and gather information, and I just end up dropping it and not finishing it. Yeah, and that happens a lot. And so it's not too uncommon. And I, I always tell people to be gentle with yourself and have grace during this process because it's not going to be perfect. But a couple of things with that is over the period of time, you will start to get an idea of different patterns that you have. And for those irregular expenses, so a lot that comes up will be like car insurance. You only pay that like twice a year. Mm-hmm. Or if you're you know, stocking up on clothes during Black Friday or something, mm-hmm. figure out, well, okay, well, how much do we typically spend for this? And then divide it by 12. And that's now your monthly budget for that. Mm-hmm. You might not use it maybe January, February, March, and April. But if you have to pay it in May, you know that money is going to be there because you've still been saving for it. And the other thing with it, too, is, you know, you have to figure out what works best for your personality. Not everybody working out is a CrossFit type of person or a Pilates type of person or a yoga type of person. So you have to figure out what's your style and make it work for your lifestyle instead of trying to fit yourself into what this money magazine says or what you, they hear here on the podcast. Like it really has to be individual to you. That's interesting. And I think it's, again, there's a great analogy to nutrition. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different approaches. One of them will probably resonate with with you, right. with an individual. Um, what do you do once you have that? So now that I have a budget, you know, I see what I'm, what, what I'm spending. What's the next step after that? So once you see what you're spending, you're either going to have more money then you need at the end of the month. You're going to be breaking even with your expenses. So what you're bringing in is going to equal what you, what's going out. Or there's going to be a deficit. Hopefully, it's going to be more on the positive side. You have some extra. Um, that's the best case scenario. If that's the case, then you have to figure out, well, where is this extra money going to go? What's our next financial goal? Pretty easy. If you're breaking even or if you're coming in a little negative, uh, a little you have more month left than money, as we say, mm-hmm. then you <laughs> want to start taking a look at, well, what can we cut back? That's the point where you're saying, well, do we need to eat out this much? Or, you know... Are we spending things in areas that we don't even use anymore? And that's where you're going to start having to, you know, trim back or there's only two things you can do. You're either increasing your income or decreasing your expenses or perhaps doing both. Um, And so that's when you have to kind of look at that seesaw to see, well, which one's going to work best for us. So even though you have the background, this is not rocket science. It really isn't. It really isn't rocket science. And yes, if if it was, we're still covered. (laughs) (laughs) But it really just comes down to, I mean, it's basic math. Um, But it's also 80% behavior, right? Like we could take a look at the numbers and say, oh, okay, I'm going to cut back on eating out or, you know, we're not going to go out as much. But then if you're just sitting there looking at, you know, your partner, your spouse or your new baby on the couch and you're just like staring at each other like, what are we going to do with our lives? You still want to enjoy life. So you have to do it in a way that's going to be sustainable. Kind of going back to our analogy with losing weight, it's not about eating kale all the time, right? So it's not always about deprivation. It's about how can we make this new lifestyle work for us because, again, we're going after achieving a certain financial goal um, and, and doing it in a way that's still fun for you all. It's interesting to say 80% is behavior, and that has to be true because, you know, from the time I was making like $8 a month, uh, $8 an hour till $80 an hour to hundreds of dollars an hour, mm-hmm. 
still always $40 short at the end of the month. So it's got to be behavior. I mean, I could live on a lot less than I'm living on now. And uh, once, once you have that budget and you see where you're spending it, you can sort of, you can sort of identify low hanging fruit, things that you can cut that you're really not going to miss that much. Yeah, and then what I like to do with the people I work with is not even necessarily just cutting for the sake of cutting. Like, yes, you want your budget to balance out, but think about the bigger picture. Why are you doing this? You know, why are we taking a look at the budget in the first place? If you have a new baby coming on board, whether it's your first or your second, most likely you want to have fun with your family. You want to not be stressed all the time. Like, what's the bigger thing you're going after? Because that's really going to be your motivation with sticking to the budget. You know, so maybe your parents struggled with money or they were really stressed out or maybe they used it and kind of lorded it over you and it like became like this controlling factor in your life and maybe you don't want the same thing for your kids. Uh, Maybe you want to move into a bigger home or you want to be able to send them to college or you just don't want to have to stress about the bills. What is the real why behind why you're even taking a look at your finances in the first place? Because that's going to motivate you more than any balanced budget could ever do. So I think a lot of people look for the first time seriously when they're expecting. Mm Mm-hmm. And the baby is going to come, and there's a lot of immediate expense. There's a nursery. There's uh, gear. There's mm-hmm. um, diapers and wipes and things like that. Even if it's cloth diapers, there's expense. Babies are expensive. They come with a big giant vacuum cleaner and suck <laughs> up a lot of your resources. Um, and then, of course, once you have a baby, I think also you start to think more about you more seriously about an emergency fund at least i did like mm-hmm. a, a reserve to fall back on in case anything comes up um and then also bigger picture like this kid is not just expensive now mm-hmm. but they're going to have expenses moving forward um where do you start with that so you said you know what's driving your motivation i think children are pretty powerful drivers and good motivators once you have that in mind mm-hmm. um where do you go i mean i think what america sort of has a debt problem so I think if you're just doing great on your budget as an individual or as a couple and then you're expecting a baby, um, how we tend to fund that baby is by going into debt, you know, credit card debt or other types of debt. Mm -hmm. Um, What's a better way? The better way is to save for it and hopefully not go too much into debt because what we tend to forget is we're in a very – consumer-based society. So you'll see all the magazines where all everything in your nursery has to match. You have to have the crib and all these accessories and all the stuff that you want to buy and these full registries. The baby has no idea what any of this <laughs> stuff is, right? Like, let's be honest. It's just like a first birthday party. It's really for the parents. It's not for the babies. Um, so at the end of the day, again, it's going back to that why. What's really important to you? Do you really need to have matching everything and you're coming home with like $8,000 of debt to have this perfect nursery? Or is it more important for you all to maybe have a little extra buffer in your budget, having that three to six months emergency fund, you know? So if something should go wrong, or if you do decide, hey, I want to stay home with the baby and maybe not, not go back to work at all, or maybe not even full time, you have that buffer that most likely is going to be more important to you than having uh, this fully decked out 
Pinterest worthy nursery that's like the envy of all your friends, but guess mm-hmm. what? Your friends aren't paying your bills, right? Your friends aren't going to be the ones who have to write the check every month for that credit card that might be at 24% interest to fund this beautiful nursery. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's all about priorities and what's going to be most important to you. So after the budget, after the emergency fund, which should be completely separate from your checking account, because I know a lot of times people like to put them together, it should be hard to get to your emergency fund. It's for a true emergency, not. Mm -hmm. you know, a sale at Pottery Barn Kids or something. Um, Although they do have very cute things. Um, Would you recommend keeping it someplace where it just at least gains some interest? Not necessarily. I would say a savings account or a money market fund would be best. But remember, the intent of the emergency fund is almost like self-insuring yourself. So Mm -hmm. just like you pay out insurance, you don't necessarily get a return on that unless something horrible happens. You should really see your emergency fund as this is our just-in-case fund. Mm -hmm. So the goal of this is not necessarily asset growth. It's more so protecting you for, from an unexpected expense that would cause you to go further into debt. You're going to go after growth in your investment accounts for retirement or college savings or your brokerage accounts, not necessarily your emergency. From your little three to six months. Three to six months of expenses is typically what we recommend um, if you have a more unsteady job. So maybe if you're in the entertainment industry or if you think it's going to be harder for you to uh, get another job if you get laid off or something, you might want to go on the higher end, maybe six to nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, if your job is fairly stable or it's pretty easy to get, um, three to six months should be more than enough. Okay, cool. Um, you talked about uh, – I, th- I think that's all brilliant, like really really just assessing. It's so easy to get caught up. I, I bought a book uh, with our first baby called uh, – what is it called? It's a consumer reports book about baby gear because mm-hmm. there's so much gear. And uh, we sometimes go to the baby expos, mm-hmm. and you, my feet are killing by the end of it. It's like <laughs> thousands of square feet right. of, of display after display of stuff you can get and that they make now for babies. Uh, but the book was kind of cool because it, it went through categories first, like mm-hmm. baby carriers or play yards or car seats, and kind of went through, you know, I think it said about the video camera that it was like the most underutilized piece of equipment in the American household. Um, because you get that video camera, at least when I was having kids over a dozen years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, now everybody just has it built into the phone. Right. But so even at that time, it was like you get it in anticipating taking a lot of video of your kid, and you wouldn't. You just wouldn't use it. So I think making smart purchases now, and sometimes it's kind of cool and okay to buy things that are used or, um, you know, not not the number one most expensive item. Mm-hmm. But it's really enticing to buy those things. It is. And that's why you go back to the prioritizing, right? And so, I mean, with this being my third pregnancy at this point, uh, it's very similar to when I went to college. First year, freshman, you move in, you come with a car and the U-Haul behind it full of stuff, right? Uh-huh. By the time I'm a junior, I'm like, I'm just going to take whatever towels are left over from my parents or whatever. And like, I don't need all the fancy stuff. It's the same thing. The first kit was decked out with all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. The third kit's like, here's a pacifier and a onesie. We'll make it work. <laughs> um, and so I would say for first time moms, you know, your best resource is going to be a close friend or family member that's had a bunch of kids. They're going to tell you what the gear is that's really key. 
um, and that's going to help you out in the middle of the night and things like that. And then it's okay to still splurge on, you know, a couple of different things. That's why you have a baby registry or a baby shower or something like that. Um, so, it's, again, it's not all about deprivation, which I think a lot of the personal finance world focuses on. You still want to enjoy your lifestyle. You want to enjoy your baby and the experience that comes with that. But you don't want to do it at the detriment of your stress, uh, of your partnership or your marriage or um, whatever you have set up to just be stressed out to spend so much money to support this baby that really just wants to be loved and cared for. Yeah. And, you know, they'll be, I think, happier with more relaxed parents around them. Oh, for sure. Than with more stuff and stressed out parents trying to pay the bills. Yeah. Babies feed off our energy. So if they're feeding off of us being stressed because we're not paying bills or even my four-year-old and six-year-old, they can read if we're stressed about something. Totally. You know, So yeah. if you're stressed about money or if you're arguing about, well, you spent this or I, you know, I didn't have a chance to do this. It's, is it worth it? You know? So again, it's thinking about bigger picture. What do you want the atmosphere of your home to be like? And how do these, these purchases affect that? Okay. Well, this is all pretty um, relevant to our guests. Most of them having a recently had a baby um, and about the short term. Uh, I think so far we talked about making a budget, setting your priorities, setting aside an emergency fund. Um, we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, what I want to talk about is some of the longer-term goals. Uh, how do we save for uh, bigger expenses for children like education um, and for our own financial future like retirement? Don't go away. We're going to take a quick commercial break and be right back with Portia Jackson. <laughs> Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and we're continuing our discussion on financial health and wellness with Portia Jackson. So you're uh, now you're a financial wellness coach. Yes. What does that mean? What do you do? I more so provide financial education and guidance for people as opposed to financial advising. So a lot of financial advisors will charge for a financial plan or charge uh, commissions from selling products. I don't sell anything. I just help people um, make the plan, figure out their goals, also looking at the behavior aspects. So is there any old money stories or something that they learned from their parents and how can we get through that? So it's really more of a coach as opposed to I'm just going to tell you what to do. Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Do you do you get into the nitty gritty? Like when we talked in the first part about making a budget and things like that, do you actually do that for people or you're like, make them do it? 
No, I sit down with people and have them and work with them to have them do it mm-hmm. uh, again because I mean that's like the base of everything. Um, but instead of just saying here's your budget, I hope you stick to it. It's like we're going to really start getting into well, what are the roadblocks? What are the obstacles behind doing this mm-hmm. um, and helping you get past that? Because again, you can have the perfect budget, um, and if you don't stick to it, it's not going to work. So it's not really about the budget; it's about the person. Again, like the diet, and like you said earlier, it's about eighty percent um, behavioral. Oh, definitely. And so a coach makes perfect sense on how to overcome that. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's, I know I know what to eat and I know I need to exercise, but I don't do it. Why a coach sort of helps me through that. Exactly. Like we, For the most part, like, I, like we said, it's not rocket science, right? Like yeah. we know what we're supposed to do, spend less than what you earn. Um, but sometimes there's a, a lot of obstacles in the way of that. And the coach will help you navigate to figure that part out. Awesome. Well, coach. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, we talked earlier about uh, some of the immediate expenses and some things you can do right now to kind of get yourself uh, on a good path for the future. I think um, Stephen Covey in the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People mm-hmm. says, uh, I think it's habit number two is begin with the end in mind. So if we're going to work backwards for how I want things to look down the road, mm-hmm. um, what, what, where do I start? What's the blueprint? I would say it depends on your goals. So think about, you know, um, you know, in regards to mothers and babies and things like that. You might want even want to think about when they're 18, which, you know, unfortunately will be here before you know it's it because really time fast. flies. Yeah. Um, and, and think about, well, what do you want things to look like? So whether it's education, um, also line that up with your retirement if you're a, a working mom or a working parent. Um, and start thinking about that because that's going to help you determine some of your goals. And the reason I say that is we have so many people that come to us that are just like, okay, have a new baby. We need to plan for college. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But let's take a look at your whole financial picture and how does this line up with it? And if they don't have anything saved for retirement or if they're on track to retire until they're I don't know, 92, they're a little off track. And yeah. the thing is, there's only so many ways to pay for retirement. There's a lot more ways for your kids to pay for college. So we do, uh, if you're talking about keeping the end in mind, we do tend to prioritize retirement planning over college planning. Interesting. Yeah. And the other thing we do, too, is also prioritize debt payoff uh, before retirement planning as well. Because, again, if you're earning 8 to 10, maybe 12% in the stock market, but you're paying out 26% or more on your credit cards, oh, wow. you're losing money. It yeah. just doesn't make sense financially. So your priorities would, would typically be pay off debt, mm-hmm. uh, save for retirement, and then save for college. Yes. So this is after you've established your budget, your emergency fund, which we talked about before. Uh, Getting that high interest rate debt paid down uh, is definitely important. And then going into the retirement savings and then college savings. The only caveat to that would be if you are working at a corporation and let's say your company provides some type of company match for like a 401k or a 403b or something. Mm -hmm. If let's say, for example, they'll say, as long as you contribute the first 5% to your 401k, we'll match that 100%. That's 100% return. You're most likely not going to get that in the, stock mar- yeah, yeah. in the stock market. So you do want to do that first because um, you're doubling your money. It's free money. You never want to leave free money anywhere. No. Uh, maybe on the street, depending hmm. on where you live. Um, but then after and that. even then, only maybe. <laughs> only maybe. Only maybe. Only if it folds. Maybe not if it jingles. <laughs> um, but then after that, you want to go into the retirement planning, make you know, trying to replace 70 to 80% of your current income for retirement. Mm-hmm. And then you can go into education savings. So I know it's exciting with the new baby. It's like, oh, we want everybody to go to, you know, Harvard and then Yale and all this stuff. But it's like, 
I mean, are you going to be working, you know, at McDonald's or Walmart the rest of your life? Like, what's nothing against that if that's what you want to do. And, that's, you know, some people love doing it. It's great. But if that's not your actual plan of what you want to do. Long term. Long term thinking. What mm. makes the most sense? Um, and, and what are some of the when would you say age wise someone should start thinking about retirement saving? Oh, uh, as early as possible, as soon as you graduate. Uh, it's one of those things. Time is your biggest asset. You can contribute what we probably would consider to be not that much money, maybe a couple of bucks a month, um, $1,500 a month or something. But for someone who starts at maybe age 22, compared to someone who can contribute thousands of dollars a month, but they don't start until maybe age 50 or so, mm-hmm. um, the 22-year-old's most likely always going to win. Of course, we'll have to sit down and run the numbers, but the t- time is your biggest asset. So start as soon as possible and be consistent with it. Meaning with, with 25, let's say, years more time to invest, right? they don't have to invest as much at a time and Correct. there's more time for it to grow. Right. Because you want to take a look at your time horizon. So how much time is between where you are now and whatever your financial goal is? So whether it's you in retirement, your kid going off to college, you buying a new home, um, that's one factor of how you're going to invest. You also have to look at your risk tolerance. So are you someone who uh, gets excited about big you know, changes in the stock market up and down? Or are you someone who's like, hey, I'm more like the turtle, you know, the turtle and the hair story, and I want to take it nice, slow, and steady? Um, it's even more important for someone who's more of the slow and steady conservative investor to start sooner rather than later because you're going to most likely get a, a smaller rate of return, which basically just means how much is your money working for you in the mm-hmm. long run. I like when the market goes up a lot. Yeah, everybody does. Everybody oh, yeah. thinks they're Warren Buffett when the market's going up. <laughs> and then when the market changes for one day, I have everybody calling me like, you know, I'm, I'm crunched up in the fetal position, right? No pun intended. Right. Uh, my, my, my portfolio is going crazy. What should I do? I want to pull everything out. And I'm like, no, that the market's on sale. Like everybody wants to buy buy things on sale. You want to buy low, sell high. You don't want to do the reverse, which is what our emotions have us doing. Right. Try to bail out when it drops down. Right. Mm. Market's dropping and you need to get out. That's the exact opposite of what you want to start thinking you about. You mentioned buying a home. Where does that fall into this um, sort of hierarchy of, of where to spend? Because we talked about uh, paying off debt, but then buying a home usually means taking on debt. Yeah, uh, a home purchase is seen as good debt, you know, quote unquote, because um, it will help build your credit. And um, it also is supposed to appreciate in value over time. Of Mm -hmm. course, we've seen that act out different ways, historically speaking. But for the most part, it's going to go up in value. Um, Typically, we would have someone do that after they have their their budget set, after they've paid down a lot of high interest uh, debt. Because that's also going to help your credit score, which is going to give you a better interest rate when you are applying for a mortgage. So there is a certain order you want to look at, at look at things. Um, and I would say somewhere or between the steps of uh, paying down your debt and getting it ready for retirement. So again, you still want to get that company match if your company matches. Um, but I probably would put it before um, even college for the kids. Because again, you, if you need more room, you want to finance that. Do you consider buying a home an investment for retirement? I like to separate it. Now, this is going to be, you know, everybody in the financial planning world has their own take on this and how they view it. I personally don't see it as an investment. I see investments as as things that put money into my pocket. 
um, and I see a home, for the most part, it takes money out of your pocket. Now, of course, mm-hmm. you have equity um, that you could hopefully build over time, depending on the area that you move into. Um, but I see that more as a bonus. I don't necessarily use that in my planning when, when, I, when I'm sitting down with people, because again, it's just something that historically we can't necessarily can control. So if we're going to go in order saving for retirement, let's talk a little bit about more specifics, how someone might go about doing that. And then when there's a little extra money, saving for education. Sure. So uh, typically, again, it depends on your work situation. So if you are working, I'll start there first because that, you know, for a lot of, uh, you know, working moms, that's what they're doing. I would start with the company match and whether it's your 401k, which is going to be if you work for a for-profit company. Um, If you work uh, for schools or something like that or a nonprofit, that would be a 403b. So you want to start with the company match. Um, There's also something that's called the health savings account. So your HSA. Um, and that's going to be something where you can contribute money, and uh, it's the the amount changes every year. So you, you want to go ahead and check with your financial advisor or Google, or if Google is your advisor, uh, to see <laughs> On many what, things, right? Like many things, right? Uh, to see what the limit is for that year. But that's actually a really great tool uh, because it's the only tax free money that's available for retirement. And what I mean is you're able the HSA? to the HSA, so your health savings account. That that when you put money in there. You, I don't know how they work. Do you have to use it that year? No. So there's a, there's two types of savings or those there's two types of health accounts. You have your HSA, which stands for health savings account. Okay. That's the money that's going to roll over year after year. That's okay. the completely tax-free money. You put money in there tax-free, it grows tax-free, and you can take it out tax-free. Only for health? For qualified health expenses. Okay. Now, the other one you're thinking of is the FSA, your flexible spending account. Okay. And that's the one where it's use it or lose it. So you want to make sure that you're planning accordingly um, if you're using the FSA, because at the end of the year, that's when you're making the mad dash to buy like eight gazillion, you know, band-aids so that and you're not losing your chair. money. Right, yeah. in a massage chair. <laughs> why, why would someone put in an FSA versus HSA if the HSA doesn't expire? Um, typically, uh, to do the HSA, you have to be enrolled in a high deductible health care plan. And for some people, um, may, their company might not offer that, or it might not be the best option for them if they have a lot of medical expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times you have to evaluate, should I stick with my traditional HMO or PPO, or should I do the high deductible health care plan? And then be able to save. Right. Are these two available, the HSA and FSA, only through corporations, or are they available to individuals as well? No, they're available through individuals. Um, it also just depends on how, if you are self-employed or something like that, you have to just work through the, the proper paperwork to get those set up. So that HSA, you don't pay tax on the way in, but there's limits on how much you can put. Correct. But you can only use it for qualified medical expenses. Or are you saying that at the end, retirement age, there's always going to be medical expenses so that you would use it then? Well, the way it's set up, you can use it for non-qualified medical expenses in retirement. Um, it's just that at that point, you won't have to pay uh, the penalty on it. You'll just pay the taxes on it at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, if you use it for a non-qualified expense prior to retirement, not only will you pay the taxes, but you also have to pay a penalty. And the penalty, again, changes year after year. So, But when you take it out post-retirement, you're paying the tax at the bracket that you are in retirement? Yes. So if you're not earning, right, is the hope that you're at a, a lower rate at that point? 
Possibly, um, because it's not. It's really intended for healthcare use. Mm-hmm. Um, because the thing is, in retirement, we know approximately about twenty percent of our expenses in retirement are going to be healthcare related. Oh, okay. Right, because we get older, things break down, and then you don't pay tax on it. Right, and you, if it's a qualified medical expense, and it's a pretty extensive list, mm-hmm. um, then you're not paying taxes or penalties on that money. Oh, and that's how it remains tax free. Okay, so that's a, a savings device. Yeah, so you have that. So you have your 401k, you have your HSA, and then you also have what's called an IRA, so an individual retirement account. That's going to be completely separate from your company. Um, Anybody can set this up. And there's going to be uh, two types. Uh, There's traditional and then there's Roth. And to just, you know, for ease of conversation here, traditional means you're not paying taxes on it now. The money's going to grow as you continue to invest it. And once you're in retirement, you're going to pay taxes on the withdrawals from that account. Okay. The Roth is the exact opposite. You're paying taxes on the money now. It's going to grow tax-free, and then you could take it out tax-free in retirement. So the Roth is is that's the opposite. That's a, you start saving money when you're at a lower income bracket, mm-hmm. and you pay tax at that lower rate, and then it grows, and you don't pay tax at the end. Correct. At presumably a higher what would have been a higher rate. Right. Well, the thing is, we have no idea what the tax structure is going to look like in, I mean, tomorrow. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We have no idea what it's going to look like tomorrow, let alone 10, 15, 20 plus years down the line. So uh, you'll typically see newer workers, uh, people who are new to the workforce, younger people um, using the Roth because, again, they're taking advantage of all those years of tax free growth. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas someone who might be a little closer to retirement might be in a higher tax bracket Mm -hmm. or might have a higher income. And so they want to take advantage of paying. Uh, the taxes once they're in retirement because they might be in a lower tax bracket at that time. Mm. And some people do want uh, do a combination. Are there but are there limits? There are limits to how much you can put into either one. Yes. And so, you can only do one or the other in a given year? No, you can do both. Just oh, know that the total amount cannot exceed whatever that limit is for the for year. For the year. Okay. So you can split it up over both times. Yeah. So let's just say, I mean, for example, right now in you know, 2018, the limit is 5,500 if you're under the age of 50. So if you want to do 3,000 in traditional and 2,500 into a Roth, you can, you can do, do that. that. Okay. Is there, um, is there qualifications or exclusions for who can do a Roth versus traditional? There are income limitations for people who can do a direct contribution into a Roth, um, but there are no income limitations for doing what's called a backdoor Roth IRA, which really means, right, super top secret, not so much. (laughs) Uh, That means if you uh, exceed the income limitations for the Roth IRA, you can always contribute to a traditional IRA and just do a conversion into the Roth. You still have to pay the taxes when you do that conversion in full, Mm -hmm. because remember the Roth is you're paying the taxes now, Yeah. Um, but the benefit is you can still take advantage of that tax-free growth. And they're at the time of this recording, at least, there's no income limitations on those conversions. So you can transfer, basically, from your traditional to your Roth? Yep. Even if you exceed the limitations on direct contribution to a Roth? Correct. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. I would definitely always recommend checking into these things because the laws change so yeah, frequently. It, but yeah. as of right now, that's the way it works. Exactly. Um, and then those IRAs can be invested. 
The IRA can be invested, your 401k can be invested, your HSA can be invested. The FSA, the flexible spending account, cannot um, unless that changes. But for right now, everything else can be invested. So again, um, if you're able to, what a lot of people do with the HSA is actually invest that money. And then if they do have some type of health expense currently, they would just use maybe emergency savings or they build that into their budget so they can still maximize the growth in that account for their retirement health care needs as opposed to their current ones. Okay. Are there other retirement products? There's a few other ones out there. It really just is going to start depending on what your specific uh, needs are. So whether you're military, there's some out there for that. I would always take a look at what your company provides. If you're self-employed, you always want to meet with, you know, like an employee benefits director for self-employed people uh, because they do change year after year. And with our current climate with tax changes and tax reform and things like that, they're literally laws are changing monthly, I would almost say. So you want to just check to see what's current for your situation now. If somebody's not with a company and they want to invest their IRAs uh, or their HSA, Mm -hmm. is there, you know, is there, most people aren't experts in the stock market and don't really know how to pick uh, and and manage those stocks. Mm -hmm. Are there services that do that for you? Yeah, there's lots of services that do it for you. One thing I would just uh, caution you against is always understand the fee structure Mm -hmm. because fees are almost going to, and I even think Warren Buffett says this, fees are going to be one of the biggest determining factors on the success of your portfolio more so than the investments that you pick. Mm -hmm. So you want to kind of stick towards the lower fee, whether it's an index fund and all that is, is just a combination of different stocks or bonds or cash, whatever the investment is, that mirrors um, a certain let's just say stock market bracket of investments there. Um, But you always want to make sure that you're paying as low of a fee as possible because that really is going to start eating into your returns. You have all profits that you were supposed to be making. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Same thing with working with advisors. Like advisors are great and everybody deserves to get paid for their service. But again, make sure that you understand the fee structure. If you feel uncomfortable with asking them about it or if you feel like they give you kind of like the runaround explaining it, Go find another advisor. You re- like money is personal. You really should feel comfortable with whoever it is you're working with um, to make sure that you understand, you know, what you're paying out. Do you have thoughts on life insurance? Life insurance, yeah, uh, I think it's important, and there's many different types. You have the term life insurance, which really is going to be more. It's going to be your cheapest life insurance that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of newer parents use it because one, it's cheaper, and two, um, it they tend to get it for to cover a certain period of time. Hence the name term life insurance. So mm-hmm. you'll see it sold as like twenty year term. 25-year term. The only thing is you're not accumulating any value with that. So it's not like at the end of 25 years, you have something to show for it. It's Mm -hmm. only if you should pass away during that specific term, would you get paid out. That's in contrast to what you would see as, you know, whole life insurance, where you are building up some type of cash value in that policy, depending on how it's structured. But at the same time, it does tend to be a little bit more expensive, um, but you have a a few more options with that. So uh, I think it's important to definitely take a look at that, especially if you have a new little one on the way, because now you have someone to take care of if you're not there, right? Right. So so that term cover, you know, if all of a sudden you were out of the picture, there would at least be a financial means of providing for your family. Yeah. And there's all sorts of, you know, I would say factors on how people want to determine on how much life insurance should I get, because that's another popular question. You know, is it 10 times my salary or what should it be? And I always say, take a look at 
what are you all spending and what's not going to be coming in should something happen to you and or your spouse or partner Mm -hmm. if something should happen to you? And you want to make sure that's covered at least by your life insurance policy. So is it paying off all your debt? Is it paying off the mortgage? Do you want to make sure your kid can go to college? Um, Things like that, because you want to make sure that's covered and that your policy is enough, but you don't want to be overinsured because that could be taken away from other financial goals that you're doing right now, too. Okay. There's so much to consider. It is. It's a lot. So that's, you know, again, take it step by step. Don't get overwhelmed. That's a a good way to approach it. Uh, Let's talk about, we're running out of time, but let's talk about saving for education. Mm -hmm. Um, So when's a good time to start saving? I know know that you talked about the hierarchy of how you're going to save, but assuming you have the funds available, Mm -hmm. when's a good time to start saving for education? What are the products available for doing that? If you have the means available and you've gotten through the budget and the debt and everything like that, um, I would say, again, as soon as possible. I mean, you do have to wait for a lot of these uh, different savings vehicles until the child is born because you do need uh, a Social Security number and you have to be born to have one of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for all my type A mamas who are trying to do this (laughs) before the baby came like I did, they're like, you need that your kid needs to be here first. Um, But some, some of the vehicles you can use are the 529 plan is very popular. Uh, for saving for college. And as of uh, our tax reform, which passed in 2018, you can actually use that for um, primary school, junior high, private high schools, things like that as well. But of course, you want to balance that with uh, what your college savings goals are. You can also use an educational savings account. It's called an ESA, a Coverdell ESA. Um, that has a lower limit of what you can contribute each year. Um, that's usually around $2,000 per year. So you can see that's not necessarily going to get you to your entire higher education, higher education <laughs> goal. Um, and there's also some income limits involved with who can uh, contribute to that. To an ESA? To an ESA. And the 529, is that tax-free? Yeah, so what happens with the 529 plan is you're going to contribute the money. Uh, it's very, it's going to work very similar to a Roth, where you're going to contribute money that pr- the, the money has already been taxed going into the account. It grows oh. tax-free, and then it comes out tax-free for qualified education expenses. Okay. Okay. Um, and then there's also going to be what's called an UGMA or an UTMA account, so U-G-M-A or U-T-M-A, uh, depending on the state in which you live. And that's just another way where you don't have the income, not the income limitations, but you don't necessarily have the contribution limitations into that account. But one thing to note is in the when the year in which your child turns the age of majority, so usually between 18 and 22, depending on the state in that you live, oh. uh, that money becomes theirs. So if they decide to use it to go hitchhiking around Europe instead of going to college like you planned, totally up to them. So but there's that's a just tax something. consequence if they do that. Yeah. Yeah, there's the different taxes associated with so it doesn't have the same tax advantage as the 529 plan or the ESAs as well. Nice. So you want to keep that in mind. And there's the Roth IRA too. So if your little bundle of joy ends up earning money, whether it's through babysitting or entertainment or something like that, if they have earned income, they can contribute to a Roth IRA as well and you can set that up for them. Um, but they also, they'd be penalized for taking it out before retirement. Uh, they won't because actually uh, education expenses are one of the exceptions for that. Oh, so if they put money in a Roth IRA, they can take it out for, yep, for education? Yeah, for education. In their name? Yeah, because the Roth IRA would be in their name because they have to have the earned income. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, I certainly learned a lot. Um, before we wrap it up, because 
again, you're a wealth of information, and maybe you'll come back. Yes, um, would love to. But before we wrap it up, is there anything pressing on your mind that I left out here that would be a good piece of information for new and expecting parents? I would just say as an expecting parent, there's so much on your mind already with bringing a new one into the world. When it comes to finances, keep it simple. Um, and then remember why you're doing it. And we touched on that earlier. But it really just comes down to whatever lifestyle you want to have and the environment you want to create for your child. If you can envision it, if you can write it down, if you can as- associate a dollar amount with it, you can achieve your goal. So a lot of you know finance information and advice that's out there is really number driven. I really just think it should be more from a feelings approach. What is it that you want to feel in life? Um, And going after that as your goal, and then you can work backwards from there to get all the finances aligned with it, kind of following the outline that we talked about today. Hmm. Begin with the end in mind. Exactly. Uh, Thanks a million for being here. Where can we find you online? Uh, You can find me at PortiaRJackson.com, and that's P-O-R-T-I-A-R-Jackson.com, and uh, you can get in touch with me there. Amazing. Uh, And at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic, go ahead and send us an email at info at informedpregnancy.com. Visit us online and share us with your friends. And if you have a second, leave a comment in the podcast app. Thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I got on.